All right, if I send one ripple, that's a dot. And if I send two ripples, that's a dash. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I murdered two younglings to send a dash. All right. I'm going to need more younglings. Uh, let's just call them cubits. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Seance in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 292 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about communicating with only the mind. But first, the party tests a theory in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Dragon Rider of Pern takes flight in the Character Creation Forge. Ish, and this is episode 292, which means we're only eight weeks away from our episode 300, which is terrifying. It is hurtling, hurtling toward us very quickly. And you know what? For once in the six, more than six years we've now been doing the show, uh, we're letting you know about our, our mailbag uh, a little bit ahead of time. So if <laughs> you have some questions for us, Feel free to send them in so that we are not scrambling at the last minute and not getting them in and saying, hey, we're going to save this for the next mailbag a hundred episodes from now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So that that will be coming out in uh, what December, right? Math and and weeks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Something like Mm -hmm. that. So, uh, yeah, please send in those questions. Uh, those are some of our favorite episodes to do. A great way to to ring in another milestone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and again, you know, they can be about anything. Um, the show, us, challenges, uh, rules, questions, suggestions, whatever you like. We'll uh, we'll get down and dirty with whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. Discord users can bait us into our favorite rants. You know the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're giving those away for free all the time. So <laughs> like every day. I'm trying not to use all that material because we need it for the show. Speaking of the one, uh, speaking of giving things away for free, the one thing that we don't give away for free, Ishan. Mm-hmm. Our self-respect. Pl- nope, nope, no, nope. That, that's gone. Plot hook of the week. <laughs> that's right. It is It is the one very small thing per week that you can pay for if you'd like. If you go to patreon.com slash totalpartythrill, you see all our rewards and also you unlock all of our bonus content, uh, which at this point is like, I think, four four things. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not a lot, but, you know, it grows over time. Every week, every week it increases because it is a plot hook of every week uh, we come up with something that you could use in your game to entice players uh, to, I don't know, role play, I guess, or like go on an adventure rather than staying home and playing NPCs. All right. Where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Flamekeep, the seat of the Church of the Silver Flame, the party is hunting down a rogue sect of House Jurasco. And they've just realized that all of the mine seeds they are searching for have been seeded by a single quarry bent on usurping the gatekeeper's seals to prevent Dalcor from turning toward an age of light. And incidentally unleashing a horde of aberrations from Zoriad across Corvair. But, oh well. Because they heard this buzzing, the party is convinced that one of 
the Blood Regent Diani's attendance is a mine seed, or is connected in some way to the quarry. So the party devises a plan to reveal the mole. This was a good plan. I was impressed. Reasoning that a uh, yeah, a quarry mind seed would be able to read the quarry language, uh, but that almost no one else on Corvair can. The party decides to recruit Egan and set up a glyph of warning in an empty part of the castle's dungeon. The glyph is written in quarry and set to trigger when it's read. And Vesicot is excluded by the spell. So we know if anybody reads it, high likelihood that they have some connection to the quarry. So inside the glyph, because of course one of the things you can do with the glyph of warding is cast a spell into it that is released when it's triggered, they cast a low-level magic missile that will fly unerringly and strike whoever it is that triggers this thing, thus revealing the mind seed. Huh? Uh, at Jayla Darren's insistence, though, they are using a low-level spell, a weak spell, uh, rather than doing what they wanted to do, which was like a fireball delayed blast like, fireball <laughs> uh maybe it was a scorching ray it probably wasn't like oh i don't know kill everyone in the room because <laughs> we might be in the room disintegrate i don't yeah, know i don't know that no. that actually that would have been good that would have been good but jayla insisted they use a low level spell uh she didn't want them to take the chance that they might kill an innocent and of course potentially ignite a civil war in thrain between the supporters of the blood regent and the supporters of the keeper seems fair then we begin the process of elimination. Jayla starts by ordering High Cardinal Crozen to, quote, take a look at new evidence, and he begrudgingly compl- complies. He stares in disgust, but not comprehension, at the glyph, and then storms off. He's got, you know, High Cardinal things to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. Preparing and only for High imminent- Cardinal things to do. <laughs> preparing for his imminent death. Which is why we know he's not the mind seed. <laughs> right. <laughs> the keeper then sets up an audience with Diani's attendants. Malik Othero, her captain of the guard, eventually agrees to go after Bramble uses some of his magical persuasion on him. Uh, but Malik does bring two guards along with him. And in the dungeon, Othero watches intently as Warden unveils the glyph. Three orbs of force fly toward him before dissipating against a shield. And then, all three of the soldiers disappear. Party begins searching the dungeon for them. Warden turns into a fire elemental and blocks the only exit, while Bramble and Zan run down either side of the corridor and peer into the empty cells. Then Switch hears a noise in one room and, expecting a trap, douses that room in flower, but finds nothing. Then, from across the hall, the two guards emerge from different rooms. Bramble is able to paralyze one in place with his magic, uh, but the other shakes it off and strikes the shifter with a glowing fist. The force of the blow is so intense that it nearly kills Bramble outright, and as he drops to the ground, his body vanishes. The other guard, now free of Bramble's magic, punches Zan with a glowing fist of his own. The warlock survives, but he too disappears. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are talking about telepathy and using telepathy in your game. So at its baseline, telepathy is the ability to communicate with other creatures using only thought. 
Um, but you know, it, it varies widely in its application or even like what it's capable of, right? In, in some media, some versions of telepathy, it's this emotional connection between two souls. Uh, other times it's, it's like hearing a voice in your head, just like someone is speaking aloud. The higher powered versions of telepathy often let you, uh, affect the minds of others, causing them to hallucinate or believe things that aren't true or even cause physical harm. It's a traditionally like sci-fi concept that became pretty popular in the you know mid to late 20th century with increased interest in extrasensory perception. Uh, that zeitgeist, of course, obviously eventually found its way into D&D. Um, I don't know if like psionics was the first time that telepathy started showing up. I mean, crystals were all over the place around that time. Uh, but, you know, if you think about it, telepathy is, is very much like an ESP phenomenon, but it it's just all over the place in D&D these days because of that provenance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's essentially like a founding principle for a ton of different sci-fi games. We talked about this a little bit, but let's define it. So what is telepathy? Uh, so this varies from table to table and game to game. And I think the way to approach it is to understand that genre is super important when you're thinking about telepathy. Um, and that's not really a function of telepathy. That's more a function of like the way that it has been portrayed in media and the way that uh, players expect to encounter it when they come to the table. So is in your game, is telepathy magic? Like that's the D&D fault is that it's magic. And in an anti-magic field, your telepathy doesn't work. It could also be like pseudoscience or like paranormal, like in uh, Ghostbusters. A timely and then, reference. And then I think people don't usually, this isn't the first thing that pops to most people's minds when you're talking about telepathy, but like it might be mystical or quasi-religious like the force in Star Wars because every freaking Jedi is just casually throwing around telepathy all of the time, unerringly. Yeah, they're like reading each other's minds and all that nonsense. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it's mostly... I wish I could get laid, but I am not allowed to. <laughs> There's much anger in you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a Jedi telepathically thinks about sex every six seconds. Join Emperor Q. <laughs> I can sense your anger. Anger. Um, it could also just be like straight up hard science. Like it's a, an established fact and everybody knows it exists and it's measurable and quantifiable like in Star Trek. Each of these genres, each of these um, por- portrayals, helps define the parameters of how it's going to be used in your game and then what can be accomplished through telepathy. Because, you know, it's kind of like loosey-goosey, honestly, right? Like the mechanics of a game usually don't talk about the outer limits of telepathic ability. They, They just say, hey, you can communicate with others without speaking. But that doesn't tell you a lot about like what is reasonable in game lore for your telepathy. Um, so your, your genre is going to um, like put guardrails on what players are going to expect. Jedi don't make each other's noses bleed with like the force of their mental energy, right? But like they can apparently send somebody dying on the other side of the galaxy. Right. In- instantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sends great ripples to the force. Oh, yeah. At hyper speed. Right. (laughs) All right. If I send one ripple, that's a dot. And if I send two ripples, that's a dash. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I murdered two younglings to send a dash. (laughs) I'm going to need more younglings. Uh, Let's just call them (laughs) cubits. 
Spe- speaking of, <laughs> this isn't the worst transition ever. Um, yeah, that, that's another like kind of genre setting specific kind of thing to answer is what does telepathy look like in the world in the fiction right like is it ripples through the force is it more like uh like that conversation is it you know uh, a period of intense focus right is there any outward indication that someone is communicating telepathically or reading minds or whatever um i think traditionally there isn't right that you can't see anything there's nothing emanating from a person um except maybe like you know they're they've got a thick vein at their temple because they're concentrating really hard they press their hand to their temple obviously oh, of course right and then they reach the other hand out to sort of like sense i guess through their hands right yes yeah correct. of course um for e for the for e d and d did this thing where like all the scion art and i actually thought it was pretty cool art uh, includes halos of energy so like every psionic character has this like halo of energy around their head which like all right everybody knows you're psionic <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like you're just really wearing that power source on your sleeve. But mm-hmm. you know, it was cool art, and I I sort of adapted it a bit for Gates of Morning. Um, but like, if there isn't a way for people to sort of casually tell that someone is using telepathy, it's effectively like another form of automatically subtle magic. Uh, but you can just like use while you're walking around and doing other things, and nobody nobody's the wiser. So then. This begs the question. That's what it looks like in fiction. So what does it look like at the table when you actually implement it? And I think this is one cool thing about telepathy is it's an extremely rare instance where it's actually easier to envision it at the table than it is in most mass media. Because like a movie where people are being telepathic and like talking to each other through their minds or or attacking each other's brains uh, usually suffers from what I, I call the scanner, the scanners effect, which is like, you know, the the series of movies starting in the in the 80s uh where it's basically like these telepaths and they just kind of grunt at each other you know and like squint their eyes because they're trying really hard to like fry each other's brains with their brain but like nothing's happening on screen right it's just two people standing on opposite sides of a room uh, it's kind of twitching a little bit uh their faces get contorted and then eventually someone's head explodes it's like you're trying not to reference the farseer chess meme but you should be referencing the Farseer chess meme. I don't know it. What is it? Go go for okay. it. So it's 41st Millennium Sports Farseer chess. And it's like four panels. <laughs> All three of them are two Farseers like sitting at a chessboard, not touching any pieces. And then the last panel is checkmate in 51 moves. And then the other one says, damn, best of three. <laughs> um. And I think the 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 thing to take away from this when you're like planning a game that involves telepathy is what is the experience going to be at the table? Um, and it's it's nice that, you know, in in the fiction, you can actually have that interaction, which like maybe you have other characters who are in the fiction bored by it. Right. Like, oh, the, the farseers like just played a game out in their minds and who cares? But at the table, you are going to have mechanics. Right. And even if there's no visible effect in the lore of the game, everyone at the table is going to be seeing what's happening as these two players go back and forth, like probably rolling dice to figure out what's actually happening. Right? The mechanics are painting a picture that the camera can't. It's one of those very rare times. Extraordinarily rare times. Where it actually works better to gamify it. Um, of course, if if your world has telepathy in it, 
then there's going to be a social contract or a social convention around telepathy as well. Um, obviously, that's going to be dependent on how widespread it is. But, you know, do you consider mind reading to be impolite? Is that a privacy issue? Is it illegal even if it's widespread enough? And I think that will be informed you know, by the setting itself, uh, as well as dependent on how strong telepathy is in the setting, um, what kind of violence, basically, that you can <laughs> inflict with telepathy um, is to how restrained that society is going to want to treat it, right? If you can only send, you know, gentle emotional thoughts, right, to all you could do is express your own emotion tele telepathically, it's probably not a big deal. It's, you know, not significantly different than raising your voice. Um, if you can peer deep into someone's mind and uncover their deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah. That's probably not going to be cool with most people. Yeah. And then it can also vary depending on the strength of the, uh, individual telepath. So you can always have an outlier, right? Like even in a setting where telepathy is extremely common or even universal, um, like a, an extraordinarily powerful telepath is going to frighten people and they're going to take measures, especially if they can tell, uh, who it is. Oh, Jean Grey. Yeah. Jean Grey is either, I mentioned this elsewhere, like later in the notes, like Jean Grey is either like um, the most powerful character on the planet or sometimes like the universe or like she's this glorified um, like f telephone operator. Yes. Who's like Jean Grey patches through. <laughs> she's literally the most powerful <laughs> character in the universe and also the worst. <laughs> We live in a modern society where we could have comlinks, right? Yeah. Like email is also a thing. I don't need to do this. No, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> I can feel Logan lusting for me. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some ways to use telepathy in your game. The first and most obvious one uh, is going to be communication. Uh, it's the most common usage and it lets characters talk silently. It's great for stealth missions. It's it's maybe like the ideal thing for stealth missions, especially if you have a setup where multiple characters can hear each other at the same time. Yeah, it's also great if you, you know, have a negotiation or something like where it's good to have a sidebar uh, in real time. Like obviously telepathy can provide you that ability without, you know, letting the other party you're talking to know that you're talking to each other. Yeah, it's great um, when you're, you know, trying to place someone close to the other uh, team's coach and you don't want to make it very clear that you're relaying all of that information back to your side. I, I mean, this is also just one of those convenient at the table things, right? Where it's like you can, you can have your, you know, sort of above the table conversation, right? Like still in character, but you can have that conversation in the midst of a different type of encounter and therefore like, you, you don't have to explain how you're shouting back and forth to each other in the midst of, you know, a trade negotiation or uh, a, a wedding, a marriage proposal. Yeah, like in this instance, I sort of think about telepathy the way that I think about tracking arrows. Like in the early game, it's fun and an interesting challenge to figure out, like, how many arrows am I recovering? Like, am I a Fletcher and like can I make more on the fly or, or whatever? I need to make sure that like I'm shepherding this resource so i don't run out of them but like by the time you get to the mid game it's that is boring and you don't want to mm -hmm. do it anymore and, right. and it's, it's, it's kind of like i i like to be like oh i use my thieves can't so that the goblins don't 
know our tactics here. And then, you know, by the time we've been playing these characters for like four years, it's just like, let's just talk and can can we get like, I don't know, an item so we can talk telepathically so like we don't need to like explain how we're making sure the Death Knights don't know how we're coordinating. Right. <laughs> uh, if you're communicating, it's good to know and good to be clear about what is being communicated, right? Is it words? Is it feelings? Can you communicate images? Could could you see through somebody else's eyes or or share what you can see telepathically? Yeah, and is it maybe only images or only feelings and no words? Um, and like how much control is there over this, right? Is there bleed through or do people only send exactly what they intend to send, right? Like, you know, if I'm going to send a telepathic communication, is it essentially like writing a letter where like I get to decide what is going to go in it and then I send it down the little telepathic tunnel? Or am I just sort of thinking at you and then like if an errant thought pops into my head, you get that too. Right. And like, does that change with practice? Can you like be really good at it and be really bad at it? And then like as soon as you sort of bring new people in and people are experiencing it for the first time, then you have this opportunity for the experienced person to like... Uh, get a lot more information than the inexperienced person. I'm sensing Logan's lust again. <laughs> that's that's just bleed through. <laughs> I think it's intentional. Uh, telepathy can also enable communication when you don't share a common language, or you know, don't have vocal cords, or can't otherwise like hear and communicate and and speak in in the way that you know humans and humanoids do. Um, you know, this could be like a telepathic Kenku, or this could be communing with plants or machines or animals or whatever, you know, like squirrel girl does, I don't, does she yell at the squirrels and they do her bidding? I don't, I don't remember, but like Aquaman I, thinks at fish, right? I, I do not know what that is. <laughs> I, I barely know how Aquaman works. Canonically, say, I don't know if he thinks at fish or he speaks. I, I really don't. <laughs> Um, I like the idea of the like, telepathic Kenku because like, I mean, you can go, you can go in the direction of like, they can only mimic sounds, but if we're using telepathy, then they just speak like anybody else, you know, right. or like, I don't know, maybe I can only send you images that I've seen before, you know, or that other people have sent to me as well. Like there's a lot of like potentially interesting ways to go with it. Mental text messages. I love it. Uh, I was going to tweets. I think they have to tweet because, because they're birds character limit oh yeah. mm -hmm. right right that yeah. tracks mm -hmm. uh, telepathy can be in instinctual like you may not know that you're doing it you may not know why or how you're doing it therefore you don't necessarily need a mechanical explanation for like how the heck this works you know or if you do have one later you can change it to suit your story needs whether you're the player and you're saying here's how it works and then later on you're like actually it turns out that's not it at all um and i've gotten a lot better at it or if you're the GM, you can be like, mm, actually, it's tiny demons. Uh, and that's going to be a plot point. <laughs> it's actually midichlorians. So... Of course. It, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You're right. It is. Damn it. Um, another fun, fun thing about telepathy, especially in your kind of more hard sci-fi settings, uh, it often ignores distance and time. Um, so... It could be great for creating plot hooks in that uh, you can create faster than light travel paradoxes, right? Uh, the the time dilation that occurs through, you know, traveling faster than light does not apply to a telepathic message. And therefore, like, 
you could learn of the future due to time dilation. Yeah, somehow, you know, like, yeah, Tarkin blew up Alderaan, okay, but Ben Kenobi violated causality, and that has far more reaching consequences. Uh, um, and I do, I do like telepathy as like a a plot hook, you know, like. It, they didn't do this in Star Wars where, you know, he gets he gets this sense that like something bad happens somewhere else. Right. Because we almost immediately find out what happened. But in a game, you can definitely do this where like one or all of the characters get a sense or a feeling or a message from nowhere, like a literal, you know, word, a, a worded message from somewhere or like to your point, Shane, some when and they have absolutely no idea. And like there's no response and they have no they have no way to respond. Right. Um, that's a, that's a good way to seed. It's a good way to offer information from elsewhere. And it's probably not going to be ignored. Like, you know, some of your other plot hooks, cause like it just showed up in your brain. Right. Also a classic way for you to paradox yourself by sending yourself telepathy mm -hmm. to make sure that you were never born. Mm. Mm hmm. Uh, all right. So telepathy, in addition to communication, it can also be used for detection can you hear, quote unquote, hear other minds, even if you don't intend to? Are they just like around and you can tell? Do you have a sense about other sentient or sapient life? Maybe. Um, does it matter if they're trying to be quiet, telepathically quiet? I don't know how to do that. I'm like a regular human with no extrasensory perception in the real world. I don't know how to like keep my mind quiet so that other people can't overhear my brainwaves. So... For all I know, I'm shouting telepathically all the friggin' time. I have a naturally still mind, Ishan. Uh, when I'm at rest, I, I am that. deeply at rest, which <laughs> is pretty much all the time, let's be honest here. Oh, you want to think about nothing? I can think about nothing. Here we yeah, go. I'd, I'd spend all day thinking about nothing if I had my way. <laughs> thinking about something only gets you in trouble. <laughs> so if, the, if there are these other minds that are sort of like open jars full of thoughts, are you able to peer into them if you're a telepath? And if you do, what do you see, right? Is it a, is it a chaotic slurry of of thoughts that are like, you know, bouncing off the inside of a skull? Um, or is it like a, a neatly arranged library and you're just sort of able to browse however you want and pluck bits of information that are useful to you? It's a word cloud. Well, crap. Yeah. Completely useless. It's if an acrostic. If you click any of the words in the word cloud, it takes all the blog posts <laughs> <laughs> that they've the mental blog posts that they've written in their mind on the that include that word. Uh, it's just three columns. Uh, one says live, one says laugh, and one says love. Mm, and everything seems to fall into one of these categories. Mm -hmm. I shoot them. So mind mind reading is is like tough. I feel like to use in a game often because it's it's almost always extremely useful like overpowered or totally and absolutely useless depending on what the implementation is because mm -hmm. like either you can't really get any useful information because it's all a jumble or or you know you can't control it or whatever and in that case it's just sort of a plot hook right you peer into someone's <clears> mind because and, of because of plot armor. You mean you can't get any useful right. information yeah. because of right. plot armor. <laughs> You're only able to get one one word. Right. Croatan. <laughs> Is that it? Cro <laughs> Croatoa? Is that it? But if you make it too powerful or you make it so it always works or it's infallible or whatever, then like it's like one step toward negating 
entire swaths of social skills because suddenly like insight is useless their their bluff is useless you know you just sort of like npcs become an open book and like now the gm is like uh i don't know what do i do yeah it's it's almost like and this sometimes is a game system problem too right of like Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that there is enough ambiguity that using telepathy allows for like a dramatic outcome right like Mm -hmm. it it could be a measure of your skill that determines like how much information you can get um it, it could just be like how organizes their mind right like is it possible to get to extract that information from this person's mind maybe it's not if you fail um you know maybe they don't know or they have like mind locks that prevent them from you know releasing that information yeah all the enemies are either uh, too well trained or too dumb for you to get any useful information from mind reading <laughs> well it's <laughs> it's it's a very 40k thing of like you have to build your mental barriers or else chaos just eats your mind so right like <laughs> i live in my mind palace or someone right. built one for me and like i can't access parts of my brain <laughs> Uh, I think in media, mind reading is often portrayed as infallible because otherwise, like, why include it, right? Um, That's less interesting at the table. Um, And like you said, Shane, often the mechanics of a system will involve checks to figure out what kind of information or, like, how good the information you are, you're getting is. Um, I feel like that sort of makes it almost exactly the same as, like, making a sense motive or an insight check, you know? Right. And like running it at the table or being a GM, let's like adjudicate this stuff. It ends up, it ends up being the same thing. It's not any easier, but, uh, but honestly, it's not really any harder either. It's really just sort of uh, flavor and, and it changes the types of information that you can get. Oh, it also might change the type of information that the target receives in return, right? Mm-hmm. They might know you've used a spell on them versus they, they might know that you've asked them some suspicious questions. Right. right, like you, like maybe they they can feel you rifling through their mind as like different memories sort of like surface unbidden quickly. Right, or they might see you casting magic but not know what magic you've used. Right, which is probably less suspicious than you know asking somebody like who who was here on Tuesday night. You know, like <laughs> don't mind me, I'm just refreshing my mage armor. Right. <laughs> Uh, you can also use telepathy for obfuscation. So if you can speak into a mind, there's an excellent chance you might be able to cloud that same mind. Just like I can speak into your minds right now using my voice, uh, but everything I'm saying is useless and I'm simply clouding all your brains. In this instance, trickery and deception take on new and potentially interesting parameters, right? Like it's not about sleight of hand anymore. It doesn't matter how quickly you can palm an, an ace at the table. Um but at the same time, like wordplay and believability and, and your sincerity are paramount when you are, you know, talking with someone and trying to confuse them and you've got the upper hand because you are inside their mind and able to, on some level, manipulate their emotions. But you still, you still need to do the work. Okay, but it could be sleight of hand if, say, you can telepathically alter their vision and convince them that that's an ace and not a two. You see? You see? Sleight of hand. You're going to telepathically alter their vision. Why don't you just what? poke them in the eye? Just boom. 
and then convince them that you didn't. Well, because I'm not good at sleight of hand. That's, okay, right. <laughs> I'm good at mental sleight of hand. <laughs> uh, there's also sort of the domination tree of telepathy, right? Which is um, how far into mind control is are, are telepaths able to venture? This kind of brings a whole host of other issues to the table, uh, not least of which is consent, especially if you're dealing with like a long-term domination. It's kind of a different thing when it's like short-term, it lasts, you know, a round or so and has very distinct parameters set on it, like most current iterations of like D&D magic. Um, But, you know, if if it's just like, oh, my ability is that I can control the minds of NPCs, then you... GMs be very cautious here. Um, and it's beyond the scope of like this episode to go too far into this. But, uh, you know, I think if you would if you would use it, I might consider playing it out as mental combat, um, like a physical manifestation of mental combat. Yeah. The other the other example of domination that comes to mind is like vampire thrall. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that's, again, like probably not a mechanical thing. That's more of a. A plot point right that one of the npcs that you're fighting will you know no longer be an enemy <laughs> if you can kill the vampire right like that that's more of a plot point element of it that's just kind of flavored around telepathic domination right and if you have the pc who has the domination ability then you know if you're playing it sort of like a, a thrall like now suddenly someone obeys you and like kind of like wants to obey you as well then it's sort of like a modern day version of um, those magic items that would flip your alignment automatically, right? Like, oh, they were a bad guy now, and now they're a good guy, right? And like, they want to be a good guy and they're happy about it, or vice versa. Yep. Success. Uh, It always reminds me of that, uh, the villain from what, like the first season of Jessica Jones? Yeah. uh The Purple Man. Is that, yeah, the one who made me turn off Jessica Jones? Uh, Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, Jessica Jones is um, a scripted series, you know, and so like it tells an entire story arc and is planned out far in advance at a table. If you wanted to tackle those same issues about consent, that's extremely difficult to do in the moment. Right. Um, So be extraordinarily careful with that. And, you know, we'll have some caveats a little bit later about all of that. Uh, And then you want to crank the dial even further. You can go all the way up to injury. You just use the mind to cause physical damage. You know, psychic damage is what it's called these days. Um, maybe it's just straight up brain damage. Just hemorrhaging. Just just brain hemorrhaging. Yep. Uh, nosebleeds uh, because I'm I'm too sexy, I guess, and that's why your nose is bleeding. <laughs> but, but I'm telepathically too sexy. Right. And it's sort of it's interesting. I think this is maybe one of the easiest versions of telepathy to adjudicate because it typically uses the same levers that players are already comfortable with, right? Like, what have I done here? I have used an invisible punch and hit your brain. That's all it is. Like, like change the numbers on your sheet. Done. You took damage. (laughs) I mean, maybe you used an invisible punch. I just said something really mean and hurt your brain. (laughs) (laughs) You do love cutting words. Vicious mockery. Right. Look, it may not be the most powerful spell in 5e D&D, but it's certainly the best spell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Say something mean at the table. No, no, it's in character. 
of course, telepathy can represent a weakness for a character as well. Uh, sometimes it's not great to hear people's thoughts. You might not like what you hear, um, especially if you can't turn off your telepathy, if you're constantly hearing everybody's thoughts, like uh, the Mel Gibson movie. Yeah. What Women Want. The uh, Taraji P. Henson movie. What Men Want. I... <laughs> Yeah, don't I know anybody else is in either of those <laughs> films. Cool. I do like the idea that you know you're you're facing like the the telepathic end boss, and everyone sort of looks around and says, "Wait, they can hear our thoughts." Oh, I got thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed, wait, we can weaponize thoughts. Oh, here, I've been mulling some things for a while. I got a couple rants. Let me unleash. Please them. kill me. Please kill me. <laughs> I'm not misunderstood. I'm understood. Please kill me. I don't want to listen to your bard ramble anymore and their mental, their internal monologue. I just have some thoughts about Captain Janeway that I really need to offload somewhere because no one's been willing to listen to me on the forums lately. It doesn't even need to be in combat, right? Like in the lore, are you maybe the only telepath in this setting? Uh, if you think that you can hear other people's thoughts inside your head, or if you are hearing thoughts out loud in your brain that didn't come from you, that looks a lot like schizophrenia. And so now this begs the question, like, is it in a certain kind of game? Maybe that's you know something that you're wrestling with. Or are you just dealing with people who believe that you are schizophrenic when you are not? In fact, you are telepathic. Right. Uh, and then you can have a situation where a telepath is hypersensitive, maybe it's like mental static or, um, you know how like, um, sort of canonically an easy way to like hurt Superman or at least to distract him is like a really high pitched noise because uh, he has really sensitive ears. Um, you can do the same thing with, you know, a, a loud telepathic shout, uh, that is only going to affect telepathic characters. A psychic scream, if you will. Indeed. Um, sometimes I just shout uh, randomly, like a hoarse whisper, but like really high-pitched just to annoy any Superman who might be on the planet. Of course you have time for that. <laughs> you can just do it while you're like washing the dishes, you know? <laughs> you, just, you just work it in your everyday routine. It's really not a big deal. Yeah, keeps, yeah. Keep Superman can... away. <laughs> have you had a Superman attack recently? I don't uh, think so. So, uh, uh huh all right, let's run through a few tips for using telepathy in your game. I think each time a new telepathic ability is used by anyone, by an enemy, by an NPC, by a PC, um, by someone like trying out their new feat or like the a new class feature or whatever, spend some time exploring what it looks like in the game and then what it feels like, what it feels like for the user what it feels like for the recipient, what it feels like for bystanders. And I think like metaphor and imagery as description are really useful here. I think synesthetic description is potentially really useful here, right? Like it, you, you get uh, an image in your mind, a sensation. It, it feels tall or you can obviously see that she's like seething with rage and it smells like rust to you, her emotion. Yeah, and then don't be afraid to mechanize telepathy, right? You can grid out mental combat just like you can physical combat. Um, the difference is now you're, you know, fighting in your minds. And the rules might be different, right? Certain things work better. Certain things might not work at all. Um, the parameters of the fight 
have changed, and now you've created an interesting terrain with which to uh, apply your combat mechanics. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of an overlay of a second grid, or even just like, you know, we switch to a different grid when we're fighting in the mind space, you know, and this area is like MC Escher-esque, you know, and, you know, you go in these doors and you come out these other doors and there are specific rules, um, you know, like psychic damage does more and whatever, elemental damage doesn't do anything or whatever, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And after a while, like if you're doing a telepathy heavy game and this happens a lot, people get used to it and then it becomes a strategic plan of like, do we switch to the mind space? Like maybe can the telepath bring us all to the mind space? Like that would be great because we have an advantage there because like these people don't know what's going on or, you know, we've been dragged into the mind space and crap, let's get the hell out of here because none of our abilities work properly. Yeah, I like uh, you flip your, you know, your chess X battle mat. Yeah, you flip yeah, it yeah. over from squares to hexes, to hexes, and now you're in the mind yeah. space. <laughs> it's a slog. It's Euclidean geometry. What is going on? Another desert, really? This mind space doesn't make any sense in terms of geography or terrain. All right, some caveats. Um, don't split the party. Because that can happen when you have some telepathic characters and some not telepathic characters. Keep an eye on how telepathy is being used and make sure that it's additive to the party dynamic and not uh, a a way that some people have their own side adventures that no one else is privy to or nobody else is invited to, right? Like, ensure that telepathy is presenting as an enabler for the group and not uh, like a spotlight stealer. Yeah, yeah, you totally don't want the character who likes to jump the gun and decide what the party is going to do because they screw things up, right? Like, oh, I, I kick the shopkeeper, like those characters. You don't want them being the only telepathic character because what are they going to do? They're they're going to cause trouble and they go against what the party wants because they're just going to be talking to everybody. Right. Uh, and then I content warning here. Uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about sexual assault i think too often telepathy in media and then you know certainly uh potentially in games becomes this avenue for like quote-unquote mind rape which like it has no place in a game unless like everyone at the table is specifically proactively looking to talk about this for whatever particular reason right i mean therapy games exist but it often gets excused as like not as bad as the real thing, quote unquote. But like at a at a, like a table of other people, graphic descri- descriptions of trauma are going to be a lot more harmful than like pretending to be stabbed by an imaginary sword. You know, so like this actually happened a lot in like Star Trek, unfortunately, where like the telepathic counselor, like it's yet another episode where there's a there's an alien who is like, you know, inappropriately mentally touching the separation in fictional layers between like fictional physical contact and physical telepathic contact contact are like zero separation in gameplay right because they're they're the same imagination right shared by the same people so in all the ways that like you know you would I would say ideally not explore rape at all in your game, but uh, at least certainly not without signposting and consent, right? Like you would want to treat the same 
like like give the same care and treatment to telepathic domination and things like that as well. So we're done. We're done with that content for right now. We're bringing the veil down. Um, if I might segue off of that, though, weirdly, um, I think that that is a good point when you're thinking about telepathy, when you're using it in your game. Um, it doesn't have to be a completely separate experience from the rest of the game because the way that it's happening at the table is exactly the same way that everything else is happening. We are telling a shared story together. Um, it's all it's all just happening in our minds and like we're transmitting images and and feelings to each other and then experiencing them and like trying to figure out if like we're sending and receiving the same things and you know right you definitely don't need to be afraid of using it um you're already kind of doing it right now <laughs> that's a very uh very sketchy definition of telepathy if we're doing it right now but sure let's go you're, with that you're sending me ripples right now okay and and i don't want to know where they're coming from i'm not i'm not it's not me <laughs> you've got crossfire you've got crosstalk someone's signing it shane <laughs> yeah i'm being trolled i'm being impersonated that's shane with an with a with a three instead of a capital e <laughs> S H A I N. Hmm. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> do you hear that, Ishan? Or should I say, do you feel that? I'm, I'm getting, uh, like a square. Um, nope. Now I'm just getting an electric shock. That's now this. I hate this game. <sighs> well, I think what you should be getting is the taste of iron being forged into a person. Because we're moving on to the character creation forge, and that's how it works. Deal with it. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sands Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com, especially if you have mailbag questions. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Dragon Rider of Pern. Ishan, what is a Dragon Rider of Pern? Have you read these books, Shane? Nope. Uh, fun fact, neither have I. Uh, okay. <laughs> however... Wow, this is, is going to start off a... <laughs> pair of really great uh character creation forges wait till you hear next week's i'm really excited for people to tell us how we did this wrong um no, so my sister actually was like an avid reader of the pern books um they're by ann mccaffrey mccaffrey, McCaffrey. i how to pronounce it I, go with I, I have no idea she uh she uh was one of the um like very first uh female sci-fi writers to uh, actually be recognized um, I think she like was the first woman to win uh, Hugo and or a Nebula, uh, which is like a big deal. Um, th they first started coming out, I think, in the late 60s. So like th there's a lot of stuff in there that's like kind of pretty dated. But, you know, Dragonlance also actually sucks. I'm sorry to tell you, all of you. But <laughs> OK, <laughs> we don't have to burn the world down because you picked this. <laughs> All right, so the dragon Rider, the dragon riders are the eponymous heroes of her novels. Um, they are they're dragons, uh, but they're also telepathic, and they let people ride them because they really like people. 
they they're they're friendly friendly dragons they're intelligent they they can uh talk through their minds just uh, just like people do they speak people languages uh they breathe fire and they protect the world all right so what's the build it is drake warden ranger 15 oath of the crown paladin 5 so i mean the drake warden is cool it was cool i liked it uh and here's the thing with this build, if you want to go Drake Warden 20 and just be done, you can do it and it's going to work and I'm okay with it and I won't get mad at you. Um, but we are not reskinning like we often do in the forge, but we are doing a little bit of stuff that requires some DM fiat. We're exchanging power for ribbon abilities. Uh, is that a thing that we usually do in here? No, no, not usually, but I think it's okay. 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 Because so the Drake the, the base Drake Warden isn't gonna get stuff that you want on your Dragon Rider, which is telepathy. Um and the dragons also do this thing where they're able to teleport through space and then eventually through time. Uh, we're just gonna settle for space, okay? Uh and a regular Drake Warden certainly can't do that. Uh okay. now find look, find steed exists, the paladin spell, and that gives you a mount uh that can that you can tell telepathically communicate with um but that, that's not a permanent solution and you can actually you can actually do that earlier than level 15 like if the only thing you want to do is like ride a flying mount then paladin straight paladin is your way to go or maybe like bard and like just steal the the spell but um it, those scale so poorly that they had to introduce fine greater steed uh, and then eventually, like, the thing's going to die and you're going to run out of spell slots and then, like, you're not a flying-mounted character anymore. Right. Yeah. All right, so we're going to kick it off with either, your choice, Variant Human for the Fey Touched feat or High Elf, and then later you take the Fey Teleportation feat. Uh, what this does is it lets you cast the Misty Step spell either once per long rest or once per short rest, depending on which of those options you choose. And this is important later. Okay. So what are we starting with? ranger presumably yeah we'll kick it off with seven levels of ranger heading straight for that cool flying mount you get canny which gives you expertise i like animal handling i don't know that it's usually that helpful in games but we're sticking to a theme um the optional uh ranger features let you pick the druidic warrior fighting style which i like because you can take produce flame uh which means that as soon as you're with your dragon um you can start you know having it Right, quote unquote, it breathing little uh, bursts of fire long before you get uh, your Drake's breath ability at level 11. Uh, we'll also get extra attack and up to second level spells. Uh, and then I think the real point here is at seven, we get a rideable Drake. Uh, medium sized, flying speed, but you can't fly while mounted. Yeah, which is a thing that we're going to try to overcome. Uh, then we're going to go. All five levels of Paladin. You get heavy armor. You get smites, which make you a lot more... Um, you, you, dish, you dish out a ton more damage in, in combat. Uh, especially once you pick up the mounted combatant feat, uh, which is going to uh, give you advantage on creatures smaller than your mount. For right now, that's only small creatures. Eventually, it will be medium creatures, and that's going to be great because you are doubling your chances to crit and then drop a big smite. Uh, you also get another fighting style. Dueling is fine. You can also take the new one, Interception, uh, which is going to let you protect your mount even better. 
take Harness Divine Power, which lets you use uh, your channel Divinity instead of like turning undead. That's not very Dragon Rider-y. Just cannibalize that for new spell slots and therefore smites. You get the Warding Pond spell to protect your mount better. But here's what we're really here for is the spell Find Steed, uh, which is a second level spell. You get that at Paladin 5. And you are able to summon uh, one of a variety of creatures to serve as your mount. Here's the thing, though. You already have a mount. You don't want to ride one of those creatures. But the spell specifically says the GM can allow uh, the spell to summon different creatures. And I feel like if you have gone all this way just so that your drake can be your steed, it should be allowed. Because here's what you're getting out of it telepathy (laughs) 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 and you can cast uh, spells to target yourself and they will also affect your mount which is nice the one important one would be misty step because it targets self Mm. and that means that both of you can teleport uh, which in the novels is called going between like dipping into like a hyperspace dimension for a moment to like teleport uh, somewhere far away gotcha uh, and then we will finish out the ranger levels. You'll get tireless so that you reduce a level of exhaustion every short rest. Uh, you'll be able to turn invisible a limited number of times per day, which I would also flavor as going between. You'll get Drake's Breath so you can pseudo fireball. Let's be honest, probably one time per day, but you know, hopefully that's all you need it for. Right. <laughs> uh, your Drake will also grow to be large size. Uh, and then you will be able to use your reaction to grant resistance, uh, kind of similar to absorb elements. Uh, now, a couple of magic items to call out here. You'll notice with this build, your drake doesn't get to fly with you mounted on it until level 20. And that's because we've sort of gone out of our way in order to get the like double teleportation of both of you. Um, but you can do this earlier pretty cheaply. Uh, If you want your drake to fly, I think the cheapest way to do it is two sets of winged boots that you just put put on the drake. Because remember, the the drake can attune magic items. And this is a great thing when you're getting into the late game. And what happens is you've run out of attunement slots. You're still getting treasure. And now you're deciding like, well, this is garbage and this is garbage. Not because they're not good, but because I can't attune them and i'm just looking for stuff that doesn't require attunement hand it to your drake they got three slots you know amulet of health great here you go headband the intellect cool here you go getting outsmarted by your mount oh hopefully um and then wings of flying if you don't want to put two pairs of boots on your dragon fine 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 uh wings of flying uh will um, also give you a, a fly speed to sort of get you to the point where, you know, you uh, finally get it via class features. Uh, and then also worth calling out, uh, as this is a build that involves a mount, you're pretty much paying a feat tax for a mounted combatant. But you should pay it. Pay your taxes. All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And supporters of any level get access to our Plot Hook of the Week bonus content. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Finally, can you believe we haven't done this yet? We are talking about chase scenes in 5e. And in the Character Creation Forge? We are very thematically building chase from the 
Emery Wars. I have no idea what that is. Coheed and Cambria, dude. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) I did it. This is a 90s episode. Oh, no. This is an early 2000s episode. Oh, great. Okay. We'll talk about Converge and Dillinger's Escape Plan. Oh, no. I mean, they've got like a whole like graphic novel series about this now. I, I don't even know what all of this is. I don't even know oh, who I get to learn all of this from Wikipedia. I am very excited for you and I'm excited <laughs> for me for next week. Well, that's it for episode 292 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 